Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. The Philippine startup ecosystem is in a crisis, as are all businesses. But unlike micro, small, and medium enterprises, which have been thrown a lifeline by the government, startups have nowhere to go, no one to turn to. Except for angel investors who recognize that the gains Filipino startups have made in recent years could completely disappear because of the COVID-19 pandemic. You may also ask what angel investing is. So in a nutshell, angels are individuals who put their own money into an early stage company when the risk is incredibly high. And in turn for that investment, they take some equity on the belief and the hope that the company will succeed and that equity will be worth more at a future point. But it's not just that return on capital that angels are looking for. We're looking for something more than money. People want to contribute back. They want to help transfer their skills. They want to share what they know. They want to help build a company. That's James Lett, Executive Director of the Manila Angel Investors Network, or Maine, who wrote an opinion column for SparkUp, Business World's news and knowledge sharing hub for Philippine startups. In this episode, James speaks with SparkUp editor Tiago Arnaiz and tells us how and why the Philippine startup ecosystem must be saved. I was wondering if you could provide some insights or stories from the field that you can share about what exactly these startup firms are going through right now. I probably I should touch on firstly what Maine is so people can understand the context that we're coming from. Maine is the Manila Angel Investors Network, so we're the largest committed private investors network in the Philippines. So Maine was formed essentially to support the country's startup ecosystem. So the way that we do that is by connecting investors with promising early stage startups so that they can be invested, mentoring and, and help to grow them. Maine doesn't charge any fees or carry. It's simply that we want to capture some of the economic benefit that's coming from the innovative startup ecosystem and ensure that the Philippines benefits from its own potential. Within that context, you know, this global health crisis, and we don't know what the impact is even at this date, but we know that the impact on the economy and in turn society is going to be far-reaching and long-term. The economic growth has crashed, unemployment surged to levels that I've not seen in my lifetime, yet almost six months later, and we still don't know what the future holds. Will it be a V-shaped? Will it be an L-shaped? Will there be a second wave? There's all these questions, and even the experts, no one knows. The livelihood impacts of this are massive. There's academic research that suggests three in every five Filipinos only have savings to subsist for about a month. You know, there's massive need for help out in the community. And in that context that startups, we're going to be far down in the queue of need. You need to put livelihoods and lives first, and that's what the government's doing. But we need to be aware that startups are hurting and they are in crisis. It's our view that much of the Philippine startup ecosystem is close or will be to the point of um, bankruptcy and closure. It's being driven by that collapse in consumer demand from the lockdowns. It's uh, being driven by an inability to provide services 
There's also, you know, people who owe money through invoices for services are holding on and they're, they're paying as late as possible. So payment rates are going from 30 to 60 days to 120 days before, you know, you get your bills paid and that's tightening the cash flow of everyone. And particularly when startups run on, they're a business that runs on such razor thin margins and cash flow is so important that delays like that incredibly hurtful to their potential and their future. Startups hope to have a runway of 12 to 18 months and they rely on investors to reach that, but also strongly on at least some revenues. With the revenue part of that equation gone, they're hurting. So as a community in this ecosystem, we need to see what we can do together to help them. In terms of your question, what Maine is facing, so we've got a diverse group of startups and some of them are managing to grow during the pandemic. I mean, some of our investments such as Kumu has become an indispensable part of some people's lives, but others have seen their revenues collapse. And Maine, as an investor, we've stood behind our portfolio. So we've backed those in our portfolio that have needed further funds and we've injected more capital. But, you know, in the Philippines, there's a few thousand startups and they need some assistance. And one other point that, you know, Maine, we're quite strongly on. We, we're big believers in female founders in the Philippines. And one thing that we're seeing is that the impact of COVID is not gender neutral. I mean, women founders will be disproportionately impacted by this crisis. So we're not just calling to support startups. We'd like in particular to see support for female founded startups grow as well. I'd like to explore a bit the support systems that already exist, right? So you mentioned that startups rely on on investors, as you mentioned, and also the revenue streams that they've structured for themselves. But you mentioned as well in your op-ed that there are various programs that the government has implemented to assist MSMEs, right? So micro, small and medium enterprises. But you also said that the way that they're designed, these programs are not made available to startups. Could you explain why that is? Those programs are there because these micro, small and medium enterprises are the backbone of the Philippine economy. The government recognises that and so there are currently across the government, I understand from the ITF report, that there's 19 programs of assistance. But if you look at those, they don't meet the needs of startups because startups is fundamentally different to most SMEs. So they take large risks with new and experimental business models. So they're about innovation and change and experimentation. A typical SME works on profit, whereas a startup focuses on revenue growth and user growth. And basically that fact alone affects their ability to access financing options. That means that those programs aren't available. So the loan sizes for those programs are either inadequate or their loan criteria. So they need, you know, certain required lengths of operation or even number of years of profitability, which gets back to that revenue versus profit differentiation. You know, there are debt and equity limits and they can't be met by startups. So we could take one example. The DBP has a small business loan program and the maximum of that is only a million pesos. So that um, excludes a lot of startups. SSS has a business development loan facility, but to get that, that needs a three-year track record of profitability and an equity ratio of not exceeding three is to one. And the terms of that loan need to go towards building something physical or for working capital only. DOST's setup program is to purchase equipment. So there's limitations like that. Now, the government recognised that, so they've been some recent movements 
end of last year, there was the Innovative Startup Act that was passed. That's going to establish a startup grant fund and a startup venture fund. Again, they're fantastic initiatives, but the details are still being formulated. Six months is too late. Things need to sort of happen now to help this community. There is a gap that we believe in the support that's available. And it comes back again to our point of view that we don't think the government should provide this. We think the private sector should fill this gap, but the private sector needs some assistance and de-risking to give them that certainty to open their checkbooks and invest. The government and the private sector need to come together, right, to establish more targeted programs. Particularly now, you suggested in your op-ed a blended finance facility, specifically, again, for bridge financing in the form of convertible loans, tech startups that are specifically affected by COVID-19. Could you explain how do you see a facility like that working? So what we're calling for is what's known as a donor-supported blended finance instrument. What do we mean by blended finance? So it essentially, it's catalytic financing that incentivizes individuals and corporate investors to deploy their cash reserves to back Filipino companies in a meaningful way. So blended finance is basically leading money. It uses public sector funds and development funds and philanthropic funds to de-risk investments and rebalance the risk-reward profiles of investments so that they become more commercially attractive to the private sector. And the de-risking being done in this case would be that you could see it as extending the runway of these startups. So the uncertainty as to how long COVID and the economic impact of that will go, the public capital component would give the confidence that runway at the worst case could be covered. It essentially mitigates the immediate impact of liquidity crunch that these companies are seeing from COVID. And instead it stretches something that's happened for a month, it can stretch that impact over several years. What these funds do is they leverage funds. So for every dollar that the public sector puts in, a private investor would put 3 to $4 in. So that's the leveraging that blended finance does when it de-risks investments. The obvious question that you'd probably ask is why private sector, why aren't they investing? And it's essentially the uncertainty. So what these development DFI funds would do is to provide greater certainty so that investors know what's happening. There's so much doubt as to what the future holds, but it provides more confidence and it can be structured in such way that there's certain risk and loss matrices that can be applied that would make the investments more attractive to private sector capital. The benefit of doing that way is that it doesn't damage or distort the Philippine ecosystem. It's more of a loan that's structured to not only be paid back, but it would give taxpayers some upside on the back end. It has a huge number of benefits, but basically the key benefit of it opens up a larger pool of money by de-risking those investments. I want to flip it now and look at the other side, right? So that of the startups. In your op-ed, you gave a number of reasons that we need to rally behind them in terms of the fact that they are primary drivers in job creation and can increase our regional competition. Why should we be saving Filipino startups? People know that the startups have a high chance of failure, even in normal conditions. So it's a fair question to ask, why should we be saving them? Why shouldn't we let them fail? The easy way to put it is that they're more than just businesses. They're more than SMEs. They 
are a driver of economic innovation in an economy. There's one really good analogy that I've read, and there's a professor of economics at the University of Oxford called Peter Sedlak. He had this analogy and he compared the economy to a kitchen sink, and I think it's quite a useful diagram to why startups are valuable. The way he explains it is the sink consists of mature large businesses and holds all of the water and the water essentially are the workers. At the bottom of that sink is where the drain is and that's because these old mature firms, they shed jobs. And in this analogy, his view that the taps are the startups and the young firms, they carry the water by creating jobs and creating workers and fill up the sink. So even though there are relatively few number of firms that are startups, but they are the future engine of job creation for the economy. So if the tap's turned off, the sink will keep emptying and it won't start filling up again until the economy bounces back and recovers and these young startup firms start creating jobs again. I think that's a fantastic visualization. And to your earlier point, you mentioned these taps are probably also the primary channels for female founders and female entrepreneurs to contribute to the economy. And so it becomes doubly grave for those types of founders too. Women face a huge number of challenges across the board in the workforce, and that can spur a number of these highly talented women to set out on their own and make their own mark in the world to break through the glass ceiling on their own. And they turn on their own tap and start creating their own firms and their own jobs. But with the impact on the economy and across the board tightening of credit and the lack of cash and cash flow, they're going to be hurt as much as the others and those taps will be turned off. James, I wanted to bring this conversation full circle and ask if we're able to establish a system wherein the government can help mitigate risk, embolden investors to start supporting these startups and help them survive the current crisis. What precedent do you see this setting for these kind of collaborations in the future? Right. So beyond COVID-19, how might a program like this change how that the ecosystem operates and grows? If nothing is done and the economy is left to fend for itself, our greatest concern is that the startup economy of the Philippines will be severely weakened and it'll take years to claw its way back to pre-COVID levels. The number of years and the level of investment that's gone into building the Philippine startup ecosystem to the point that it is now, and that's taken years, that's going to be lost. So... There needs to be something left to work with at the end of the day. And what you'll find will happen is that countries such as Singapore, they're stepping in with, you know, 75% wage subsidies, uh, significantly large bridging loans of very low interest rates that providing cash flow support. So when lockdown ends, um, business returns to whatever the new normal is, these Singaporean domiciled startups will expand into the ASEAN to compete with poorly resourced startups in the Philippines that may not exist anymore and they will capture the Philippine market. So all the benefits of this new industrial revolution that we are going to be seeing will go offshore. The benefit won't be kept in the Philippines. So that's one of the drivers for what we're doing. But if we come together as a community of ecosystem supporters, apart from saving 
that future from happening. So saving startups so that they are in a place to compete when business resumes its normal pace of life. You can look back at the last global financial crisis and see that there's opportunity in this moment. So during the last recession, some of the unicorns of today were founded and it's likely that will happen again. So what survives through this process proves the grit of the founders. They'll be posed to explode and to scale once this ends. And if there's no Filipino competition, others will scale into our market and benefit from the opportunity and the natural advantages that the Philippine economy has in certain areas. The actions that the government is taking with the Innovative Startup Act, with the Arise Philippines Act, the funds in that provide a great basis, but it just needs to be brought forward and sped up, but they can be used as a basis for leverage. So don't simply see these government funds as a single source of investment. One dollar of these funds from the government can be turned into four dollars by leveraging and engaging these DFIs and the private sector into deployment of this capital. So you can maximize the impact that government actions can have on the securing the future of the Filipino startup ecosystem. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard James Lett, Executive Director of the Manila Angel Investors Network, speaking with SparkUp editor Tiago Arnaiz about the crisis the startup community finds itself in and why it is imperative that the public and private sectors find ways to support it. They fleshed out key points that James wrote about in his opinion column for SparkUp. First, the need for a blended finance facility to incentivize investors and to mitigate the immediate damage COVID-19 has done to technology startups. Next, the recognition that COVID-19's impact is not gender neutral and that women founders need more support. Startups by their very nature are risky ventures, but we need them to drive job creation If we don't act now, the country risks losing talent and whatever gains we've made in innovation economics. As James said, what we are faced with is a once-in-a-generation challenge to save the Philippine startup ecosystem. This episode was recorded remotely on June 15. This is Sam El Marcelo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>